Our scripture reading for today is from the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 16 through 34. Hear now the word of God. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God, who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days, but Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, These men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful, lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them in prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds, and then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, And he and his entire family rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. There's one line I want to point out right away from this story. It's the very first one. The author does something which he usually doesn't. You may not know, but the book of Acts was written by the same man as the Gospel of Luke. A physician, a man who appreciated cold, hard facts named Luke. The book of Acts is part two. Part one is Luke, and it's about what Jesus did, his life and his resurrection, his death. Part two is what happens because of Jesus. It's about the church's response and how it imitates him. Way back in the Gospel of Luke, in part one, Luke starts off by letting us know that he interviewed eyewitnesses. He investigated it, the whole story, so that we could know the truth of what happened. But here he does something different. He tells this story in the first person. Luke starts this story by saying, one day as we were going to the place of prayer. He does this only four times in both of his books. And he does it because he was actually there. Take a second and remember, the reason we tell these stories is because they happened. Two real people 
in real life. When this story starts, Luke says, one day as we were going, and just like that, he's changed the context. This isn't just a story a guy in a robe reads standing up in a pulpit anymore. Luke is telling this story like you do sitting at lunch with friends. Yesterday I was eating lunch and I looked out the window and seriously, guys, I saw old lady Mildred running out of her front door chasing her grandson. What's his name again? I forget. Benny's kid. And I saw her running out there, smacking at him with a broom, yelling, this is the last time he'd stamp mud into her white carpet. Here's Luke's story. He's been traveling with Paul, Silas, and Timothy. The four of them are traveling around, guest speaking at churches, encouraging Christians, and telling those who've never heard about Jesus of Nazareth. And then one day, this band of four is going to a place of prayer, and they meet a slave girl with a spirit of divination. She can see things differently than most people, which is an incredible gift. Some stock traders or business-savvy folks seem to have it. They make plans and trades almost like they can see the future and their bank accounts grow because of it. Well, this girl has the gifts, but it's not making her a dime. It's making her owners a great deal of money. And her life is being dragged from place to place, telling people what will happen. Then her owners make lots of money from it. Working for some companies feels this way. You work yourself into the ground, the company does well, then they show you the door. Thanks for your help, good luck with your future. Even churches and families at their worst can feel this way. Can you help me with a loan? Can you help me with these chores? Can you volunteer some hours? Can you give me some advice? As soon as you try and turn the tables, they're gone. It can feel like being a slave, you work and work and don't see any return. But this girl is a slave. She's making her owners serious money, so they care for her, but not like a person. They care for her like a tool, like an investment. you got your hammer and your saw and your slave girl who can read the future. If she doesn't do what they want, they'll refuse to give her food or shelter, which is a more intense version of how other people might try to force us into doing things by threatening to withhold affection or friendship, which, by the way, isn't friendship. It's treating someone like a tool instead of a person. So Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke walk into this town. And the slave girl sees these four guys, and she can actually see that they are different. She starts following them around, yelling, These men are slaves of the Most High God, who proclaim to you a way of salvation. All the time, just yelling about who they are and what they're about. Now, notice she calls them slaves. She sees how she is connected to them. She sees that, like her, they have lost their free will, and she can even see who they've lost it to. They have lost their free will to God. But the who makes a huge difference. They've lost their free will to God, but God doesn't exploit them. They do what God tells them to, but not because God will withhold something if they don't. They have become slaves to God of their own free will because they trust God's will more than they trust their own. And when they do, God blesses them and works through them to bless others. And this relationship fascinates the slave girl. She wanders around telling everyone, yelling all the time, these men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaims to you a way of salvation. She sees the tension saved by being a slave. She can't figure it out. Evidently, this constant yelling gets on Paul's nerves. I would imagine. 
if we walked around and had someone yelling everywhere we went. These two are Presbyterian pastors. Presbyterian pastors coming through everyone. These are Presbyterian pastors here. I, too, would try to cast a spirit out of them. So Paul turns to her and casts a spirit out of her in the name of Jesus Christ. But notice what that means. The reason she was enslaved was because of the spirit that let her tell the future. Paul has prepared the ground for this poor girl to go free. The slave girl's owners are furious because now she's useless to them. She made them money because she could tell the future. Now she can't. So her owners, who didn't care a lick about her before, are suddenly up in arms. These four Christians from out of town walked in and messed with their profit margins. So the owners grab Paul and Silas by their robes or their beards, I don't know, and drag them to the magistrates or the judges, which is a good warning. Paul doesn't mess around with his responsibilities as a Christian. He tells people about the gospel. He'll heal the sick. He'll proclaim the forgiveness of sins. He's doing good deeds. He's doing what Christians do. And it makes some people so mad that they grab him and drag him to court. The court, well, they don't like it either. So they start yelling. The owners of the girl are yelling, and a crowd gathers to join in. Paul and Silas gave up their free will to God a long time ago. They are slaves of the Most High God. And the Most High God has just led them to court, where they will be found guilty. They will be attacked by the crowd, curses yelled, punches thrown. The two of them are beaten by rods and locked in jail in the centermost cell with their feet in the stocks so they can't move. Being a follower of God won't always lead you to happy things. It won't always lead you to fun memories. Sometimes it will lead you to suffering. I think this can be one of the hardest truths to grasp as Christians. But today is Mother's Day, and it holds the key to understanding that. Mother's Day cards are often full of smiles and laughs and flowers and bright colors. The card I bought for my mother had flowers and these compliments on each one, and all of the compliments were true if my mom listens to this. But what is so remarkable about mothers and those who act as mothers, I think, is their fearlessness in the face of suffering. Mothers will drive to and sit through countless sports, concerts, recitals. They'll wipe snotty noses with their clothes or their hands. They'll bathe chicken pox and they'll wake up at midnight to quiet fears. They sit in hospital rooms. They will suffer being yelled at and ridiculed and rejected even by their children because their love is without condition. What I learned at some point is that my mom wasn't actually immune to the discomfort of sleeting rain as she watched soccer games or the exhaustion of waking up in time for school and staying up to do laundry, or immune to my attitude. This love, this labor of love that we call motherly love, it involves suffering. But it is suffering gladly endured because of the love. Paul and Silas, they are suffering. They are attacked and abused, but gladly because of the love they have for God and the love God has for the people they are trying to serve. Because God's love is also a love without condition. So for just a minute, hear me. There are sports t-shirts everywhere. You see them everywhere, and they say that pain is weakness leaving the body. Suffering is part of being an athlete. It hurts, but you dig deep and you keep going. Work hurts, 
A friend recently told me that if you like 80% of your job, you're doing pretty well. That other 20%, or for some of us, maybe more than 20%, it's a bit of suffering, discomfort, boredom. Suffering is a part of work. Suffering is a part of being married. The discomfort of sharing a life with someone, someone else who frustratingly has their own things that they like and dislike and insist on doing at strange hours. Singleness has its suffering too. In times of loneliness, in times of need, parenting and not having children each have their suffering. The suffering isn't good. It's just worth it. Living life fully means being willing to endure the suffering for the sake of this good thing. And our faith is no different. Paul and Silas, they endure this suffering and unjust arrest and being attacked by this mob because of the greater good. And the greater good is that other people might encounter and be amazed by God in the same way that they have, that their lives might be transformed. They have this good that makes it worth it for them, but that doesn't mean the suffering is easy. When they're sitting in this prison cell, alone in the dark, their whole bodies aching from being attacked, the two of them lean on their faith for comfort. Hope is dim, so they begin singing hymns. Paul and Silas, and I don't imagine either of them being great sinners, which is of great comfort to me, uh, and not the point. They start singing to remind themselves of their faith. Suddenly, no warning. Sitting there in this prison cell, feet locked in the stocks, their whole bodies aching from being beaten, everything starts shaking. An earthquake, and the door of the prison creaks open, and the wooden stocks fall apart. The jailer is asleep. I picture him feet propped up on his desk, snoring loudly. Clearly a deep sleeper because he actually sleeps through an earthquake. He wakes up, rubs his eyes, and sees that all the doors to the prison are open. A story recently ran of a man, Marco Marsala. He runs a website hosting service, which means companies pay him to store their website, design, and data, and to keep the site available on the Internet. I don't entirely understand how the Internet works, but that's what he does. One day, while working away, he miswrote one line of code, which deleted his entire computer. 1,500 clients' websites and data, gone. Luckily, he had all of them backed up to a computer that was also connected. So it deleted all his backups, too. Just like that. He did what anyone would do. He went on a forum to ask for advice. The advice he received, update your resume and find a lawyer. The jailer's situation is like this. Except in ancient Rome, you didn't just need a lawyer because he was going to be executed. This wasn't just the end of his career, this was the end of his life. So he draws his sword and is going to make sure that if he's going to die, at least he's going to die fast. When Paul yells from the jail cell, do not harm yourself, for we are all still here. That has to be the craziest part of the story. Why didn't they leave? Paul and Silas, after the jail door creaks open and the wooden stocks cracked, continued sitting in their jail cell. I think this is the reason. They'd already given their free will to God, and God didn't want them to leave. These 
prison doors open, but not so Paul and Silas can leave. They open to show that God has the power to save, whether from prison cells or sins or whatever has you trapped. Paul and Silas sit there still singing the door wide open. And notice this detail because I've missed it every time except this one. Their testimony is so powerful that all the other prisoners stayed too. That blows my mind. And the jailer is baptized. And his entire family, and the jailer and his entire family rejoice that they have become believers in God because who wouldn't rejoice after coming to meet a God that does things like that? Luke starts this story with one day as we were going to the place of prayer. He saw this thing happen. He was there. And this is his explanation of the outrageous thing that God does. And as he shares this story, we see that the slave girl was right. These men are slaves of the Most High God. The slave girl is right. On our best days, I think we are too. On our best days, we have given our free will to God, and he leads us in the ways of salvation. The prison doors don't always open so that you can leave. Sometimes they open so that God can show his power to save. And even suffering, even suffering, can be gladly endured when we love God and when God loves us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you that you have the power to save. We thank you that prison doors swing open at your command. And we thank you that even when we are trapped in jail cells of, Lord, depression, of unemployment, of anxiety, of sickness, that you are with us even in the midst of it. And we thank you for this faithful testimony, for Luke and the story that he shares. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.